Welcome to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the decade of decline for Illinois' population and the concern Illinois business groups have about the actions to address the ongoing migrant crisis. I'll then join the Center Square's Brett Rowland to further discuss those stories and more. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Are you tired of news that puts politics over people? At the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation, we believe in putting people over politics by delivering nonpartisan news and audio content that serves you, the American taxpayer. With Franklin News Foundation, you can read fact-based, state-focused news for free at thecentersquare.com. You can listen to civil, balanced conversations between policy experts through our podcast network at americastalking.com. Or you can get in-depth news on K-12 education spending, curriculum, and school safety at chalkboardnews.com. It's all free through Franklin, where we put you, the American taxpayer, first in every story, episode, and conversation. And it's only possible through our supporters. Together, we can produce content that puts people over politics and brings Americans the news they deserve. Become a supporter today at franklinnews.org donate. Once again, that's franklinnews.org slash donate. Welcome back to Illinois in Focus. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois has lost 549,000 people in the past decade when adding up the annual population estimates from the U.S. Census. Some are looking for policy changes to reverse the trend. The latest numbers released Tuesday show Illinois' 10th year of annual losses. Chicago Democratic State Representative LaShawn Ford said Democratic leaders need to recognize the problem and start getting competitive after a decade of decline. I think the governor should be looking at our border states and um, he should be treating this like a business and be very competitive as relates to policies that compare to our border states. Ford said continued funding on education is key, but so is tax policy, he said, shouldn't be burdensome on working families. And then you look at property taxes. Um, we, we're competing with border states that don't have um, the same uh, level of tax levies as Illinois. Since 2020, Missouri's gained 31,300 people, Indiana gained 27,300, Kentucky gained 22,600. Neighboring Iowa and Wisconsin lost a total of 17,000 combined, but Illinois lost more than 364,000 in the last three years. A busy area for rail traffic along the southern U.S. border has been temporarily closed because of increased smugglers. Several Illinois business groups are joining others from across the country, urging the line be reopened. U.S. Customs and Border Protection closed rail traffic in Eagle Pass and El Paso, Texas on Monday so they can devote more resources to a resurgence of smuggling operations moving migrants through Mexico via freight trains. Alongside business groups from 16 other states, a letter signed by Illinois Manufacturers Association President Mark Denzler asks the rail line be reopened. Denzler said they understand there needs to be a solution to the border crisis and the railroads are doing their part. Um, they're willing to step up and provide additional resources to ensure the safety and security at these crossings if need be. And they've offered that to border or customs and border patrol. So again, for the flow of commerce, um, we need to make sure these are open full time or at a minimum uh, windows where the trains can roll through at certain times. Alongside the Illinois groups are asking for the line to be reopened are organizations from Indiana, Iowa, Missouri, Kentucky, Wisconsin, and 11 other states. Those are the top stories from the past week from Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. 
coming up for Illinois in Focus. I'll join the Center Square's Brett Rowland to further discuss the news. This is Illinois in Focus, a production of America's Talking Network. I'm Greg Bishop. Knowledge is power, and you deserve to know what happens in your state government. That's why the nonprofit Franklin News Foundation is bringing you straight news journalism through the Center Square, reporting on state authorities and publishing stories that show where your money goes and who spends it. By supporting the Center Square, you can track politicians' use of taxpayer money and demand transparency from elected officials. This is how we can equip everyday Americans to hold their government accountable. Become a supporter of Franklin today at franklinnews.org donate. Greetings and welcome to Illinois in Focus, powered by the Center Square. I'm Brett Rowland, investigative reporter for the Center Square, filling in for executive editor Dan McCaleb. And joining me today is Greg Bishop, associate Illinois editor and senior Capitol Bureau reporter. How are you, Greg? I can't believe that the Christmas holiday is right around the corner. A lot of people are going to be celebrating, uh, maybe even after uh, they, they hear uh, this podcast. So hopefully we can bring them some holiday cheer. Let's hope so. Do you have your presents wrapped, Greg? You know, I just told my wife, I said, uh, I haven't wrapped her present yet. And she uh, looked at me and said, I didn't have to. And I gave a big old grin. And then she says, well, where's the romance? So I guess I do have to end up wrapping that at some point here. Well, that sounds great. So, Greg, uh, what are we talking about today? Well, there's been a lot of activity uh, in Illinois. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, corruption uh, investigations and trials. We've got uh, continued uh, new laws that are going to be taking effect in the new year. Uh, the the gun ban litigation continues to play out. There is a plethora of things on the table. Greg, so the first story that I was hoping that we could talk about was something that's that's happening thousands of miles away from Illinois, but it's still affecting businesses here. Tell us about what's happened at the border and what Illinois business groups are responding to. So obviously the issue of the non-citizen migrants coming into Illinois from the southern U.S. border has been top of mind for the past 16 months. Uh, And you've seen some of the numbers of uh, migrants arriving to Chicago and all of the back and forth about how they're arriving by bus and the humanitarian concerns with the cold winter setting upon the Windy City, uh, and also the the overall health concerns and humanitarian concerns, but also the taxpayer costs. Uh, so that's been a dominant issue. Uh, but of course, in the past week and a half, we've seen issues of how these migrants are being transported. You had the city of Chicago uh, block a bus and impound it. Uh, then the uh, the governor of Texas uh, ultimately sending a private flight of non-citizen migrants to Chicago. Uh, but there's also not just, you know, trains and automobiles uh, or planes and automobiles. There's trains now involved in this with uh, the prospect of uh, smugglers uh, using a couple of major rail lines at the southern U.S. border getting the uh, attention of the uh, Customs and Border Protection, uh, U.S. agency that oversees the southern U.S. border. And what they announced on Sunday was that starting Monday this week, uh, they are going to close down and have closed down two major rail corridors at Eagle Pass in El Paso, Texas. Now, uh, why are we talking about that here in Illinois, thousands of miles away? Well, it's because three Illinois business associations joined with dozens of other business associations from about 17 different states, and they wrote a letter to CPB that they need to reopen that rail line. And uh, the main concern there is commerce has practically come to a standstill because those rail lines are not letting goods go back and forth 
at the rate that they should, especially heading into the holiday. So I chatted with Illinois Manufacturers Association uh, president and CEO Mark Densler, and he laid out that they understand there needs to be a solution at the southern border. Uh, and uh, they they are more than happy to work on such a solution. Uh, but they said that uh, the rail companies have stepped up and offered their own security, their own screening technology, including using x-rays uh, to try to push back on the uh, smuggling operations that uh, the the federal government says they've seen an increased amount of. Uh, so really, you've got uh, CBP saying that they are diverting some of their staff away from uh, the the rail lines there to focus on smuggling operations. And that means they can't give the proper oversight of those rail lines. But that means a stoppage of commerce and something the Manufacturers Association said means that people may not be able to get that consumer electronic good off the store shelf or maybe they won't be able to get to that vehicle uh, that they wanted to get off the uh, the automobile dealer's lot. Uh, so there's clearly uh, major concerns that, uh, that that business groups have on the stoppage of commerce. There's about 45% of commerce that goes across that line in El Paso and in uh, Eagle Pass. So that itself has uh, has the business groups from not just Illinois, but from Missouri and Kentucky and Tennessee and Indiana and Wisconsin and uh, uh, several other states from across the, the, the Midwest region and beyond, uh, making it a significant issue that uh, these rail lines need to be reopened uh, so they can continue uh, the, the, the flow of commerce. And Greg, so essentially these business groups are saying this is an untenable position, right? Has um, CPB given any indication of, of whether they're listening? At this point, you know, the last statement I saw from uh, CPB was that uh, they are moving forward with this to uh, divert their resources so that they can take migrants into custody and crack down on the growing uh, smuggling operations. So clearly we'll be watching to see this space as that letter just went out to uh, the federal agency uh, on Wednesday. There's also been a lot happening in court this week. Uh, Tell us the latest on the high profile corruption cases we've got going on. Well, uh, apparently we're, as we record this Thursday, uh, we're awaiting a jury verdict in the trial against former Chicago Alderman Ed Burke. Uh, And that's a case that uh, has a lot of people in Chicago watching closely as the longtime alderman and husband of former Illinois Supreme Court Chief Justice Ann Burke faces trial for corruption charges. Uh, So that trial has been going on for several weeks and jurors have had the case for a couple of days now. Uh, So we could get that verdict any time. But this is on top of other. It just came back with a guilty verdict, at least on the racketeering charge. So, again, uh, you've uh, you've got uh, the ongoing corruption uh, trials uh, that are happening and uh, the the outcomes here seem to be stacking up. Uh, You had the ComEd 4 uh, that were found guilty earlier this year. Uh, you've got uh, former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan facing corruption charges. Uh, uh, some interesting things happening there, Brett. You were able to get those documents in uh, not just the ComEd for sentencing uh, trial, uh, the sentencing dates being uh, delayed, but apparently Mike Madigan's going to have to get back into a suit and head to the federal courthouse uh, to possibly face uh, what could be a, a delay in his trial. That's right. Um, And this is all because the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to take up a case called Snyder v. United States, 
That case, uh, which is out of Indiana, deals with uh, the federal bribery statute, which is one of the things that many members of the ComEd 4 defendants were convicted under. And also Madigan faces charges related to bribery. So that case has sort of upended uh, a number of these uh, high profile cases. Madigan and his uh, defense team have asked have asked for a stay in his case pending the outcome of that Supreme Court case. The Supreme Court case is expected to decide that by June of 2024. Madigan's set to go to trial now in April. He wants to delay that until there's a ruling in the Snyder case. And the ComEd defendants who've already, who were already convicted in May of this year, they are scheduled to be sentenced in January next month. But they are also asking for a stay based on uh, the Supreme Court taking up the Snyder case. They're saying uh, we want to halt all sentencing and other proceedings until the Supreme Court makes a decision. That could be interesting to see what happens. Um, it's it, Even more interesting is uh, former Illinois Chief of the House, Tim Mapes, who was a longtime aide to Michael Madigan. He's also asking for a stay in his case, uh, even though he's already been found guilty and is, is set to be sentenced uh, at, the end, at the end of January. He's saying even though he wasn't he was convicted of perjury and not bribery, that the Snyder case would still affect him. Prosecutors are saying, uh, no, that doesn't affect uh, Tim Mapes, but they have not yet responded to motions filed in the Madigan case or the ComEd 4 case. So there's a lot happening there, and I'm guessing that we'll see that play out in the coming weeks. These are big trials, lots of eyes on them, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, whether the gra- judge grants the stay in, in uh, these these three cases. Well, it's not just those three cases. You've also got uh, former st- state senator, uh, I think he's still a state senator, Emil Jones III, uh, who faces uh, corruption allegations after uh, uh, the prosecutors alleged uh, he had uh, some illegal activity uh, with uh, with uh, red light camera companies. So clearly there's a lot of uh, ongoing uh, investigations and prosecutions. Uh, but one thing that I think Republicans have been critical of at the state house is all of this playing out in the federal courts in Chicago, a lot of ink for press to report on these things. But Brett, I'm here at the Capitol when they're in session. There has been virtually no conversations in committees or on House legislation or Senate legislation on trying to curb these types of things uh, from continuing. And it's uh, it's an ongoing question and a frustration for minority Republicans at the Illinois State House that while the federal prosecutors are making their moves, sometimes that takes a lot longer than taking action as legislation to hold people accountable for similar types of allegations. So we'll see if this becomes a renewed effort uh, at the Illinois State House after the uh, the first of the year. And Greg, there's also been some uh, activity in Chicago this week. There's new questions about uh, sh- Chicago's sanctuary status. The last we heard, the city council wasn't going to put it on the put put a referendum on, on this on the sanctuary status on the ballot for people to vote on. But there's still continued calls this week. Is that right? Yeah. And this week also saw, uh, again, those humanitarian concerns from the ongoing non-citizen migrant uh, influx to Chicago. Uh, There was a five-year-old that died at a uh, migrant center. Uh, And there were questions on if this was because of an infectious disease or not. And the city of Chicago put out a statement saying their investigation shows it was not an infectious disease, but the investigation continues. So that led to people uh, being highly critical of the conditions at uh, some of these migrant processing facilities. Not just that, you've also got the issue of 
uh, where these migrants are going to be housed. And you uh, have the Brighton Park facility, which was earmarked to get $30 million, but environmental concerns uh, weren't properly addressed. So they essentially shut that down uh, as they look at other locations with uh, also questionable environmental impacts. Uh, but the citizens on the ground, they uh, some want to have their voice heard at the ballot box on a non-binding referendum to end the city's sanctuary policies. And that's a, a policy uh, that where a jurisdiction essentially says they're not going to assist in enforcing federal immigration law. Whether or not that impacts migrants seeking asylum, that's obviously uh, a debate and a talking point between uh, all sides on this. But regardless, you have some in Chicago voters that want their voice heard on this. They were denied that option of a non-binding resolution by the Chicago City Council. But as the problems continue and as it's not being addressed, you've got community activists. Tio Hardiman, a very vocal activist in Chicago, he's with Violence Interrupters. He says that uh, the city has to reverse its trend here. And Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson, uh, Hardiman said, needs to have the backbone to reverse sanctuary city policies right now. Uh, and that's something that we're hearing more from uh, some community activists on the ground uh, saying that uh, nothing's going to change here uh, unless they actually reverse policies uh, of, of making Chicago a sanctuary city. And, Brett, when you look at the statements and the recent back and forth between Texas Governor Greg Abbott and sending a plane of migrants after the city of Chicago impounded a bus, Greg Abbott said that it uh, doesn't seem that Chicago is as welcoming of a city as they proclaim to be. Uh, and that's why he is now changing uh, strategy to send the the plane there. Uh, so clearly the the sanctuary status being one of the major factors of southern uh, border communities uh, sending migrants to not just Chicago, but other sanctuary cities uh, across the country. Uh, because they, they uh, these border communities say that they, they don't have the resources. They're getting inundated with tens of thousands of non-citizen migrants uh, every other day or so. And they don't have the resources to deal with this. So maybe sanctuary cities could have those resources. And we're seeing that that's not necessarily the case, not just in New York, but also in Chicago, where the financial impact on this and the humanitarian impact uh, is raising a lot of concern and a lot of people pushing to have these types of policies reversed. That's right, Greg. There's a lot going on there. And that situation, I think, is is far from resolved. And it's going to probably take uh, years to play out just to see what happens. And uh, especially given, uh, you know, the thousands and thousands of people involved here. The other thing that we've got is a bunch of new laws coming on the books. Tell us what we've got, to, what we should expect come January 1st. Brett, uh, during spring session, uh, legislators passed 665 new laws, and that was just in spring session. Uh, they came back uh, in fall session and passed even more laws. Uh, so altogether, a uh, bunch of different laws went into effect already. You have uh, several other new laws that are set to take effect on January 1st. And we're talking about things impacting uh, everything from tax policy to schools to how landlords uh, interact with their land, uh, with their tenants, um, things impacting workers when it comes to different types of paid or unpaid leave, uh, even a, a smoking ban of electronic smoking devices. Those are going to be banned on January 1st. 
you've got uh, measures impacting uh, deep fakes or doxing that's uh, going to go on the books January 1st, plus a ton of different laws concerning driving. Uh, so these are all uh, 320 different laws going to affect January 1st. Uh, on the driving laws, uh, there's uh, measures that uh, uh, have the Illinois Department of Transportation uh, working to develop a traffic app uh, so they can track weather conditions for Illinois roadways. And that's going to come with a taxpayer cost of around $2.5 million initially and $775,000 of annual costs. Some people pushed back on that saying, well, maybe the state needs to just hook up with uh, companies like Google or Apple and just uh, have a plug-in of sorts. Uh, regardless, that measure did pass, and IDOT's going to move forward with that on January 1st. Another measure concerning IDOT uh, deals with those uh, instances where you see a semi-truck that's uh, 16-foot clearance, but they're trying to go under a 15-foot clearance overpass and they scrape the top of their truck, well, IDOT's going to conduct a low-clearance early warning device pilot program. So that also is going to be uh, impacting drivers January 1st. Uh, some other things. You've got those fuzzy dice hanging from your rearview mirror. Uh, those can no longer be a predicate for police to pull you over. While it will still be illegal to have that fuzzy dice there hanging from your rearview mirror between you and the windshield, uh, that's not something that police can say is a reason they pulled you over. Uh, so that also is going into effect January 1st. Uh, and those who drive while being on video conference calls, that'll be illegal come January 1st. Also on driving laws, uh, when it comes to abortion, um, out-of-state law enforcement won't be able to access automatic license plate reader data to try to prosecute somebody coming to the state of Illinois for an abortion. So those are just a, a handful of the different laws impacting uh, roadways and driving, let alone the slew of new specialty license plates that uh, are available starting January 1st from Lyme disease research to autism awareness, to submarine veterans, specialty plates, and a new license plate for line worker appreciation. Uh, you've got uh, the book ban uh, measure that's uh, going to be in place come January 1st. That has the state able to withhold uh, the taxpayer funds from local libraries that don't apply or adopt American Library Association's Bill of Rights which includes efforts against banning books. So that'll be interesting to see that go into place on January 1st as well. There are measures in there, uh, concerning criminal justice and how prisons are to uh, operate. One measure creates the Higher Education in Prison Act. Another creates uh, the Higher Education um, Faith Behind Bars Act. Uh, also a measure that changes how prisoners are counted when it comes to the census, uh, instead of being counted at the prison they're serving at, they'd be counted at their last residence uh, from whatever county they came from. Uh, so those are some interesting things happening for prisons. Uh, for construction, uh, new construction of uh, various residential units may have to have electric vehicle charging uh, conduit uh, to essentially allow for an EV charger to go in. Uh, but one thing that that's impacting is landlords, because after January 1st, you've got renters who can demand a landlord install an EV charger. Landlords would be able to tack uh, that, that price onto the deposit uh, down the road, but that's something else that's going to be impacting uh, landlords and uh, future construction. 
Thank you, Greg, for all your insight into these important stories. Listeners can keep up with these stories and more at thecentersquare.com. For Greg Bishop, I'm Brett Rowland. Thank you for listening and please subscribe. Subscribe.